My name is Jack Dermott, and if you're listening to this, congratulations. But it means you're still alive, and hopefully so am I. If you are, I want to hear from you. So please reach out after you listen to this episode, and any other episodes I've managed to make by the time you listen to this. It's going to make more sense, I promise. The world, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, is in a pretty big state of change right now. Something never seen before. But hey, maybe today, your today, uh, is a long time away in the future um, than my today is for me. Maybe Abigail was right. Maybe everything has worked out. I should tell you what you're listening to, what you're about to get into. I suppose the best way I can describe it is it's a chronicle of my journey toward belief, toward hope. In the light of sheer unquantifiable despair and seemingly absolute desolation, I found a way to say no, to fight back. I may not win. Everything may still play out in one doomsday scenario or another, but I know that no matter which way the vote goes over the New Year's holiday, whether we choose to nuke ourselves or let God do it to us, I still think I made the right decision to stand up and try to fight against it. I apologize, by the way, for the audio quality. I'm not recording this at my house in Aldwych. I'm, well, I, I suppose you could say I'm underground, hiding out. But I was running out of time to record these, so I packed my journals and my audio recorder from the last few months. And uh, so where do I begin? Uh, I think it's important that I tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So I'm going to begin with a scrap of audio I recorded back when I began this project, back in October, October 25th. Let's call this Drunk Jack 1. I don't know how to begin this. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Um, Hi. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to edit this bit. Uh, If you're hearing this, then it means I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but I will try. I am determined to learn. Yes. Ah, yes, I am determined. Um, So, hi. Uh, My name is Jack, and this is my podcast. Fuck, I need a name. (laughs) Oh, sorry, by the way. Um, It will be a swearing podcast. Do I need to give content warnings? No, I think I can pretty much do whatever I want. It's mine. Oh, you know what? I do have a name. Of course I have a name. The Black Pylon Papers. I'm Jack Dermond, and you're listening to The Black Pylon Papers. What the hell does that mean? You may be asking. Well, nothing. Nothing at all. It was just a meaningless made-up title that I personally thought sounded cool. And The Black Pylon Papers, as some of you may recall, was a very popular Successful literary magazine. Uh, God, I think I started it 24 years ago. Well, anyway, we moved into all forms of production and distribution. The BPP, it's probably you've heard of that. That's what uh, bought up the Netflixes of the world and the streaming giants of the day. Got into all sorts of content. But uh, for various reasons, I am no longer involved with my company. But I'm keeping the name. I don't care. I'm using it. And now it's 
now it's my podcast. Besides, it seems like podcasts are pretty much all that's left anyway. In case you were wondering, I was very high on Proxilin that day. And booze. It was a day ending in the letter Y, so of course I was drunk. Today is, what, the 26th, 27th of December? I've been sober from both the drug and liquor for, well, for most of the time, but technically since December 6th. Why was I recording myself back then? Um, Because my doctor told me to. Yeah, he wanted me to find a way to express my feelings in a productive way, in a creative fashion. He knew, of course, that I was a writer of some repute, a creator in my earlier days, but ever since my divorce, well, I had changed a lot, and not for the better. I suppose he didn't want to see me succumb to a proxylin-induced psychosis, or to drunkenly do something that would get me arrested or shot on sight. I suppose I was isolating those last few years, even before the event was first discovered and publicly shared. I guess I just hadn't realized how detached I had really become. As we all know, most of the world's nations are going to be participating in a referendum over New Year's. The question, do we make next year the final year and end it all through mutually agreed nuclear destruction on a global scale? Or... Do we let the world crumble over a few years of suffering and pain? Now that's, that's a hell of a decision to make. And if you're anything like me, making decisions of any weight is hard enough, but God, that's asking me to move a mountain. Um, here's another recording uh, from two days after the, the first one. So. Uh, 27th of October. Well, here's a piss off, Christine. He he blew me off. Motherfucker. He canceled my appointment. He didn't even tell me. He just didn't show up. His new assistant, by the way, is a complete idiot. I mean, I know that the, the great reorganization initiative doesn't ask for, for very much with these untrained employees, but still, I tried to get my refill, and she fucking started like a moron. Kept going in the back room, coming out, telling me she didn't have access to his pad. What, what the fuck? <sighs> anyway, I'm just on my way home. Beautiful day. Way warmer than usual. Uh, maybe, that, maybe that has something to do with the anomaly, huh? Who knows? Maybe some good is going to come from all this shit. They said the temperature changes, the weather changes, the fires, raging fires. Well, some say they're all caused by the anomaly. Others deny it, saying it's all part of nature. But you know what? This is what I don't get. Is that the anomaly is part of nature, too. So why are we all complaining? huh? Anyway, you should be proud of me. I went all the way there and am now nearly all the way home again without drinking or using. I still have a lot, enough on my, uh, my last script, and I'm, I'm following all the doctor's orders now. I'm following all the doses correctly. I think this therapy is really going to work this time. <laughs> Literally the talking cure. Holy fuck! Oh, f- Jesus! I just saw Oh, wow, I just saw a 404 sideswipe of Volkswagen. Jesus, this little thing just spun around into a pole. 
God damn it. Four by four drove off honking. Fun times. Fun times. If you think that sounded like an angry voicemail, you wouldn't be wrong. In blackouts, I often found myself recording these messages, these rants. Anyway, I was looking through my journals and I wanted to share the following with you. <clears throat> I'm terrified of the outdoors, but even that's starting to fade. I peeked behind my blinds this morning. I never really realized how many blinds are in this house. There are windows everywhere but floor-to-ceiling blackout blinds covering every square inch of every wall. I've locked myself up in here for so long that it doesn't even seem all that dark anymore. It seems normal. The outside, though, oh, the outside is on fire. It's so bright. Anyway, I'm not banging into anything. You took almost everything when you left. Whatever is in here now is the sum total of what I brought to our relationship. Maybe that's why it's been so easy not to trip over anything. Maybe there isn't anything here. Just me and the dark. Hmm. Um, right. Uh, later that day, uh, a courier showed up at the house. I continued writing. Uh, I wrote about what the courier had delivered me. I was in a fit of rage. Uh, these scribbles are harder to decipher, but I'll do my best. He's dead, Christine. Dr. Matthews, he's dead. He did it. It was a proxylin overdose. How fitting. How fucking fitting. Textbook modern suicide. Apparently everybody knew, too, but me, that he was planning to do it. It wasn't just ideation. No, he had made arrangements. He had pre-booked the funeral home. I'm probably the only asshole he didn't bother to tell. That son of a bitch. We had a deal. I trusted him. I opened up to him. There are only two fucking... two people in this world I was honest with. And now you've both left me. You won't believe me about this. You... whatever. Get this, son of a bitch asked me to speak at his funeral. Asked me to write his eulogy. He said his daughter would be at, the, uh, be at his office and would coordinate it all. So obviously that was the chick I had seen, and the courier was late getting here, so I hadn't gotten the message, so she must have thought I was a fucking asshole for yelling and complaining that he had skipped his appointment with me. Does he think I'm actually going to do this, Christine? He knows my feelings on this. He knew them, anyway. If I write anything for him, it's going for the jugular. That's where it's going. It's going to be a fucking... whatever the opposite of a eulogy is. That's for damn sure. Oh, the hell with this. Fuck this. Um, hmm. You know, to be honest, uh, I hadn't planned on recording anything again after... Uh, well, after everything that happened then. That night I got equal parts drunk, high, and angry. When the sun went down and my street got real quiet, my courage rose. I peeked out the windows. Must have been real late. The streetlights were all flashing red. There was no one on the street. 
or I don't remember anyone anyway. If there had been, I'm sure I would have scared them off. I remember thinking that. Then there was a knock on the door. It terrified me. At first I didn't move, I just stood in the foyer trying to breathe as quietly as possible. Then another knock. Three raps, each time, not banging knocks, light but firm. Then I heard a woman clear her throat on the porch. I went to the door and opened it slowly. A woman I've come to know as Abigail stood there. I looked at her. So here's the thing. Maybe it's the effect of living years as a selfish, chauvinistic guy, but I almost always describe women by their looks, first and foremost. And then if there's time, I'll describe them as people. Actually, wait a minute. I do that for men, too. Am I just shallow? Huh. I think I need to write that down. Uh, where was I? Where was I? Her looks. I can't, I can't tell you what she looked like. I remember being incredibly attracted to her, but I don't know, to her aura, I guess, what she exuded. I know this sounds so weird. I feel like an idiot even saying it now. It was like I was overwhelmingly relieved to see her. I had never seen her before, but she seemed so familiar, like she belonged in the community. I had known her for years. Hell, like she predated the rest of us. I tried to think of something to say. A sudden burst of chilled air blew from behind me and I felt my hoodie around my neck. I realized then that I had been sweating. I'm Abigail, she said. Okay, I replied. I've been meaning to stop by and give you this. She handed me this large gift basket she had been holding, which I hadn't even noticed. It was so large it barely fit in the doorway. It's not much, she said. Chocolates, teas, coffees, some different kinds of water, she offered. It was heavy, that was damn sure. I remember wondering, how do you have different kinds of water? But uh, all I replied was, okay, again, very confused. She also looked at me with confusion. No, maybe not confusion. More like desperation? Yearning? Or maybe it was expectation. Well, anyway, I thought you could use this. Have a good night, Jack, she said, and she was turned and walking purposefully away before I could even mutter anything else. Then I woke up. Same way I'd woken up every day for months. Or was it years? I woke up on my bed, fully dressed and a little disappointed I wasn't dead yet. As I rolled over out of instinct to reach for the vodka on my nightstand, I braced myself for the usual head pounding and stomach churn. Only it wasn't there. The sickness part, trust me, my, my vodka was there when I, right where I left it, but the sickness it wasn't there. I got up and peeked out the window. It was daytime. And there were cops and soldiers on my street. There were cops outside of my yard. That's when I heard loud knocks on the door. I went downstairs and opened. The police talked to me for a few minutes. Apparently there had been a drive-by shooting the night before. 
I told them I hadn't heard anything. I think they were suspicious for me to say that. They said at least two guys with automatic guns blaring some preacher's illegal sermons and randomly firing into houses. I just looked at them. Honestly, I couldn't even think of a lie. I suppose I had been far drunker and stoned than I had realized. That's when I noticed the newspapers. There were a lot of newspapers lying on the porch. I picked up the one that looked like it had been thrown last, most recently. Saturday, October 31st. Wait, it's Saturday? I asked the cop, who had been pointing out bullet holes in my facade. He said, yes, that maybe the shooting had something to do with Halloween, and honestly, he just kept droning on. I was actually beginning to panic. How long had I been asleep? What was even the last thing I remembered? I'd never lost time like this before. Then I remembered the funeral. When I was back in the house, I, I went and found the courier's letter. Jack, it said. I know this is a lot for you to take in right now, given what's happened with Christine and your darling Serena. And I know and respect your feelings. I want you to know that my wife and I are happy with our decisions, that we've given this matter a great deal of thought. It's so hard to explain these choices to people, to explain why we make them. And that's why I'm asking you. You're the writer. You're the man filled with heart. I'm asking you to use some of it to say something honest about us and maybe something honest about yourself too. You have so much left to say and do, and you have the gift of persuasion to top it all off. We will remember you always. God bless. I stood there, feeling more conflicted than ever before. I was desperately lonely and desperately wanted to go back to bed, but also eager to go to this funeral. Yeah. I still can't explain what it was exactly. I just knew I couldn't stand still. I paced. I walked into my study in the front of the house. I hadn't been in there in quite some time. The door creaked. It smelled stale. It smelled like my last book. Unmoving, dying, dusty. I opened the heavy curtains behind the desk. That's when I saw it. Sitting there on my desk. The gift basket. I had completely forgotten about it, about her, the girl in the dream. What was her name? I attended the funerals of Dr. and Mrs. Matthews at the Rockton Cemetery and Crematorium, just a few miles east of Aldwych. Some memories had started to come back to me. Earlier that week, I had been so outraged, so full of bile, vitriol, hate for these people who had taken the cowardly way out, ran off, leaving everybody else, leaving me to... Well, anyway, I couldn't write anything. I got a headache every time I started, every time I stared at the blank screen. Eulogy? Fuck me. Nice said things. That's what a eulogy is. Well, I couldn't think of anything that would qualify. I decided that I was just going to wing it. I got dressed as quickly as I could. I was nervous. Filled with this strange energy I didn't recognize and probably didn't deserve. Instinctively, I grabbed the vodka from the nightstand and took a nice big swig. That felt good and easy, so I took another. I put the bottle down and turned to leave before turning back and taking the bottle with me. I poured what was left of it into a flask and ordered a cab on my phone. So the funeral was on Halloween, which was a Saturday this year. All in all, I was only a few minutes late. The proceedings, I guess the service, uh, whatever it's called, it had just begun.
The place was packed. The woman who led the service, I don't think she was ordained as anything. Uh, not that I think that doesn't really matter anymore. She had the crowd enraptured, though. When the big wooden doors creaked and shuddered as I walked in, no one even turned to look back at me. That I was a little surprised and annoyed by. <laughs> and here I am, attending a double funeral, and already I want the show to be about me. Uh, vodka wasn't agreeing with me as I walked in, and it was not going to spend another minute inside of me. I clutched my mouth, but some of it came out, leaking past my fingers, down my chin. I saw a bathroom to my right. My head was spinning at this point, but I couldn't swallow it back down, and everything just came out right there, more or less into the toilet. Immediately, I popped a pill and took the mickey from my jacket and finished drinking the last few ounces. My stomach burned, but I needed to get that pill down. This was medicinal alcoholism. I don't know how long I sat there on that nice little bench in the bathroom, but eventually I heard my name called. I was sweating profusely when I sauntered up to that podium. The officiant must have chalked that up to nerves or grief because she looked at me with sympathy, not with the scorn I felt I deserved. When I was finally alone at the podium, in front of the mic, and there must have been 200 guests, I opened my mouth, and what came out was partly a burp, and partly reflex. And that's all I remembered. Next thing I know, I'm in the back of a car, and I'm sobbing. I look up and I see them. Those eyes in the rearview mirror, those eyes I'd gotten lost in those few days back. I'm in the back, a towel spread across my lap, wet with tears, but nothing else, thankfully. I ran out of tears, but my body continued to retch. But what was so weird was that it was like no crying I had ever done before. With each moan and each sob, I felt better, genuinely, deep down. The constant rage I had been feeling for Christine disappeared. I started to feel longing for the Matthews rather than disdain. And it wasn't like I now felt ashamed for having felt those thoughts. It wasn't a pendulum that had swung around. It was like the negative feelings were just gone, removed, flushed out of me, cut out of me. I felt like I was sat in that car for an eternity. It feels good. Let it pour out, doesn't it? Release. Yes, I replied. I looked around. We're not moving. We were in the parking lot of the church, and as far as I could tell, we were alone. I just wanted to give you a safe space before, well, before you went back to it. The world, I mean. Thank you, I replied. How did we know each other? Abigail laughed, smirked, I guess. We have some mutual friends, she said. We have a lot in common. I can give you a lift and we can talk about it. I was too nervous, though. No, thank you. I'm feeling a lot better, I said. I prefer to walk. Thank you, though. I turned to leave. She asked, are you going home? I thought about that for a moment. And then I confidently said, yes. I was happy. But I was also ashamed. When you have memory gaps, it makes conversation really daunting. I'm sure this woman had seen me do or say terribly gross things. 
I wished I had asked her more, but I was also a self-centered person. What could I say? I just wanted to get away. I felt caged. I didn't want to have a deep or meaningful conversation. I just wanted to get out in the air. I walked clear across the small town of Brockton to the train station. I didn't even care which one I got on. I just wanted to feel the freedom of the outdoors for as long as I could. It had been so long since I had felt this way. I walked over five miles from King, across Everly, Havelock, Market Streets, through parks and valleys, and all the while I didn't think about her at all. I don't think I thought about anything. I just enjoyed looking at the shops, the lawns, the houses, the people on the sidewalk. Hell, I even smiled at some of them. It was like an active meditation, if that's such a thing. All the benefits of soul regeneration and recharge without having to sit quietly. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had soberly enjoyed the outdoors by day. And how was I even sober? I had drunk most of a 750 of vodka that morning. Sure, I had vomited a lot of it up, but enough got into me. What was this sobering effect this woman seemed to have on me? Anyway, the televisions on the train were showing the daily headcounts. The voluntaries, as they were called in uh, the suicides then. They were averaging about a thousand a day in my state. I tried to put every name into the local news crawl, but who knows when your loved one's name is going to show up, right? Wouldn't it suck, I thought, to go through with it? Only have your name read at, I don't know, 327 in the morning when no one is watching? No one in their right mind, anyway? That sent a shiver through me. Can you imagine killing yourself and no one notices you're gone? A few more debates are on the schedule that week. The vote's still on track for New Year's. God, it's going to be a pretty strange holiday season. And well, maybe the last, almost certainly the last good one. When I got to my street, I stopped to admire the front of my house. Where were the bullet holes? Had they hit any windows? I wasn't really listening that morning with the cops. Usually I would just shuffle past and go in by the side door. I hadn't been on my porch in quite some time. I hadn't really looked at my house in, God, I, I don't know how long. It was a nice house. Far too big for me. Hell, it had been too big for Christine and I. And I swallowed back a lump in my throat when I remembered uh, for the briefest of seconds, Serena. Hmm. Anyway, I wandered through the house aimlessly. I ended up in the kitchen, which was a mess. Food containers, garbage, packets of sauces. Uh, the detritus of someone hiding in their house rather than living in it. I looked around, walking from room to room. What was left was dusty, unlived. A chair here, a sofa there. My whole house was dark and dusty. No wonder I kept a single room in the back. But I still felt good, energized. I wanted to celebrate. I also felt annoyed at myself for walking away from Abigail like that. It was just easier to be alone. I was so used to it. God, I wanted a drink. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a small bottle of Proxlin. I had stopped off at the pharmacy by my place. Gary's or Jerry's or something. I could never read the font. It was the last refill I had. I would need to sign up for a new shrink in the morning and go through the same set of lies I had used with Matthews and cats before him. Whatever I had to say to get it prescribed. 
people were starting to care uh, less and less about, you know, little things like fake prescriptions. And I imagine that the vote was going to cause a, a, quite a rise in demand for this one-time miracle drug. They said it was a miracle drug that restored natural sleep, reduced anxiety, and increased mental well-being. But it was still risky using fake scripts. Our new system did not tolerate rule breakers. And, uh, well, the police were bolstered by the military. So, Ubriaco. It's a, a bar owned by an Italian family friend. It's where Christine and I met back when we both partied. I claimed it in our divorce. And this was my dirty secret. This was the only bar I would let myself go to since the event or the anomaly was first announced. Bars had become a lot more guarded since then. And when I say guarded, I mean like by armed guards. But not a ubriaco, no. It was where I could relax and be alone in public, where I could pop a pill in peace, have a drink or, or ten, and forget about it all for a while. I had a lot to consider that evening, a lot to want to forget. <laughs> you know, for instance, uh, I was going to get another prescription. Or, um, you know, I had to finally listen to the voicemails that I've been collecting all week and had been dreading returning. That's a story for another episode. I walked in and sat down in my usual spot at the bar. The person nearest to me turned and said in a soft voice, now I have a question for you, Jack. I turned, and it was Abigail. Are you following me, or am I following you? So look, uh, that's as good a place as any to stop for now. I'm sorry to leave you hanging, but there are still things I need to do. I wish I could tell you the whole story in one sitting, but it's still unfolding for me. The global vote is just days away, and there's lots I've signed up to do about that. But don't worry, I will record and will publish the rest of this story. You know, as I was recording this, I was thinking that my mission has evolved with this podcast. It began with a desire to chronicle. My doctor thought I needed a creative outlet to get over my self-isolation. That led me to investigate, and in turn led me to a whole new life. You see, we're being asked as a society, a civilization, to make the biggest decision we will ever make. The last decision we'll ever make. I just want to remind people what we're deciding to sacrifice. I get it. It's a big, cold, dark world out there, and every day people are dropping like flies, giving up, bailing out. We've normalized suicide. We celebrate quitting. We call it mercy. Some people think that this vote is just the next logical step. Mercy on a global scale. Well, if you're anything like me, you've been hiding away in your little corner of this cold place, and every day it's been getting just a little bit worse. Maybe you're at the point where you want it to end too, but you're too afraid to just take yourself out. Scientists, politicians, military, they've convinced us that the world is gonna end in a slow, catastrophic way in what, 1500 days, give or take? And they may be right. 
I'll get into the science of these conclusions in later episodes, but the great democratic decision they've given us will make 1,500 days feel like an eternity from now. It's because of Abigail and what I've learned about myself and the universe around us, what I've experienced in the last two months, I can't make that decision anymore. You see, maybe, just maybe, there's an option that doesn't involve us blowing ourselves to hell. I think that's what my mission is now, to find that, to share that option, whatever that is. I hope to hear from you. Get in touch. I think I can help you. My name is Jack Dermott, and please don't give up. Stories at the End of the World is an original production written and performed by me, Sean Lahane. It's a bi-weekly speculative fiction anthology series. To learn more, check out the links in the show notes below.